0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
1: Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
2: Initialize sequence.
3: Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
1: Well, there's no way around the idea that things went sideways for the Oregon Ducks on Saturday. We can decide to what levels, to what extents Dan Lanning, some of the Oregon players and the play calling itself and even the game strategy was at fault in Oregon's loss. The Ducks outgained the Huskies. They outfirst downed the Huskies. They outplayed the Huskies in a lot of ways, but came away a loser at Husky Stadium. I was there like you, I was shaking my head at the end at the absurdity of it. Also appreciating what Michael Penix Jr. in Washington did. I mean, give him credit. Played their butts off. I don't blame people for blaming Dan Lanning. I think it, even himself, he's going to look back and he's going to say, hey, I screwed that up. There's a fine line between risk-taking and stupidity. Did he cross the line? You decide. But while you're figuring that out, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you what I liked about what I saw on Saturday from Dan Lanning. I saw confidence in his players. I saw a guy who was out uh, coaching a game just like he recruits. I saw a guy who's not afraid to go for it and tell his players, hey, I believe in you. I also saw a coach who knew that sevens, meaning touchdowns, not threes, field goals, we're going to be what it took to beat Michael Penix Jr. in his home stadium. I think right before halftime, as Oregon lined up and ran a play on fourth down and goal instead of taking the three points, there were people in their living rooms going, hey, I love this. When he didn't got it, oh, second guess it. I understand that. But think about this. Dan Lanning goes for it on fourth and goal twice, goes for it on fourth down in. And- in a really gutsy-slash-stupid situation at the end of regulation. And still, Oregon had an opportunity to kick a 43-yard field goal as time expired on Saturday and try to send the game into overtime. Now, would another coach have won that game? I've had people email me, tweet at me, message me, tell me any other coach would have won that game. Well, you can think from a strategy point, if you like, in that in those terms but would another coach have retained bo Nix for another season would another coach had gone out and brought in jordan birch the defensive tackle who was on the field uh, mucking up things for washington on saturday or reta- or recruited mateo uyangalele who was making plays would another coach have arrived at husky stadium undefeated coaching a top 10 program i think if you're going to You know, it feels like to me, if you're going to criticize Dan Lanning for being Dan Lanning, let's give him credit for being Dan Lanning along the way. You've got to acknowledge the upside of what we saw on Saturday. While we're also kind of lamenting the lost opportunity, it was a huge lost opportunity by Oregon. No way around it. These two teams, I think Washington and Oregon, arguably the best two teams in the Pac-12. Arguably can make a case for getting back to getting to Las Vegas, playing for the championship. They may play two times. They may play three times, for crying out loud, if they're really as good as some of us think they are. But while we're lamenting what Oregon lost on Saturday, let's consider that Dan Lanning's decision-making, 37-year-old head coach, could be due in part to the fact that he is on the young side, less experienced, only in his second season as a head coach. Great recruiter guy who's assembling talent like crazy, uh, coaches and and, uh, recruits with a lot of enthusiasm, and simultaneously, a lot of us want him to shut that off when it comes to fourth down inside the opponent's red zone, and we want him to uh, you know, uh, coach a game like he's uh, a more conservative, less emotional, less fired-up football coach, and that's not who he is. I saw him go onto the field on Saturday. Does he need to learn from it? Of course. We all should learn from mistakes. We should all learn from things that don't go our way. But I already think that Dan Lanning probably would look at what he did on Saturday and handle some things differently. I sat three feet from him in the postgame news conference. He already was talking about evaluating himself. I I hesitate to say that he would do everything differently because I just don't think that's in his nature, nor do I think he should be apologetic today about what Oregon did on the football field. The Ducks lost the football game. I think you can nitpick the execution on fourth downs. You can you can question the play calling on third down. I think they should have handed the ball to Bucky Irving on at least one of those third down and goals. Uh, but I think in the end, we all have to recognize that this is kind of what Dan Lanning's going to do. It's who he's going to be. He's going to go for it. And in fact, when he sees Michael Penix Jr. in Washington on the other sideline, he's not going to be a guy that's inclined to lay up and kick field goals when he has an opportunity to put sevens on the board. Um, I, 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 you know, kick a field goal, punt. I mean, there's a correction that needs to happen, no doubt. Like, I would have liked to see him kick one of those field goals. I would have liked to see him at the end of the game tell his defense, hey, I got confidence you ought to punt it. But I truly think we would be having a different conversation if one of those fourth and goals turns into a seven. And I think we might be having a different conversation had he punted the ball in fourth and three at the end there from midfield and Michael Penix Jr., who went... 53 yards in two plays. Like, tip your cap to Michael Penix Jr. in Washington. I think we'd be having a different conversation if Michael Penix had gone 75 yards in three plays. Uh, you know, look, I, I, I want Dan Lanning to learn from mistakes, learn from losses. I think good coaches always do. But I don't want Dan Lanning to stop being Dan Lanning. I don't want him to stop uh, you know, believing in his players. I don't want him to stop telling his guys, his offense, hey, I know you can get a seven here. I'm not going to kick the field goal because I know, given enough opportunities, this percentage-wise is going to work out for us. On fourth and three, hey, I don't want to give the ball back to Michael Penix Jr. I don't want Dan Lanning to change that. I don't want him to stop recruiting. I don't want him to stop, you know, the vein bulging in his neck, telling his players before the game that they're about substance. I don't want that guy to stop being Dan Lanning. And that's my point today. Oregon's got to learn from the mistake, it's got to learn from the loss, it's got to consider whether it would do things differently from a strategy standpoint. But Oregon can't stop being Oregon, and Dan Lanning shouldn't stop being Dan Lanning. We got a great show for you today. I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Tell me where you think Oregon went wrong in this game. If uh, if they kick a field goal at the end of regulation, go into overtime and win it, are people still upset? over the strategy decisions during the game. Why is anybody questioning Bo Nix? Some idiot reporter after the game says, you know, Bo Nix, do you realize you're 0-7 against top 10 teams? Like, like Bo Nix is playing special teams and defense. Bo Nix pitched a perfect game just about on Saturday, played really well, and he's fielding questions like that after the game, and Duck fans angry at him saying, well, is Bo Nix the problem? Come on, give me a break. Did you watch the game? Guy played great. 503-417-7575 is the number. I want your phone call. Steven, let's nitpick Dan Lanning, all right? just right? Let's, let's absolutely nitpick him. If he kicks the field goal right before half, Oregon's in a better position. If he kicks the field goal in the third quarter, they're in a better position. If he punts the ball instead of going for it on fourth and three from the 47, uh, right, You know, and right before Michael Penix Jr. drives down for the game-winning touchdown, they're, they're, they might be in better position. Where was the biggest
0: mistake, strategy-wise, in Dan Lanning's coaching? I think out of the three, I want to say that the biggest question mark to me was the one right before halftime. And I I actually love the decision. I thought it was a great decision to go for the touchdown. But if anything, at that point going into the half, you get the ball back in the start of the second half, get those points, and keep the momentum rolling. Right? I, I think that would be the one that I would question the most. The fourth down at the end of the game, I have no problem with that play call, or I have no problem with the decision to go for it in that, in that situation. I have a problem with the play call. I have a problem with Will Stein and how he called all these third and fourth and short situations, but I don't have a problem with the decision to go for it because for the two last two weeks, John, we talked about what is the worst unit on the field. It's the Washington defense. If the Oregon offense can't get three yards against the worst unit on the field, they don't deserve to win that game. All they had to do was get three yards. Bo Nix was 14 for 15 in the second half. Like, I-, I love that. One play, win the game, go on the road, <laughs> beat Washington up in Seattle, and then throw your middle fingers at him. Like, that's what you do, and I love the decision. Now, I don't love the play call. I don't love any of the play calls uh, on any of the fourth down situations. The-, the second fourth down they went for right by the goal line, passing completed to Troy-, Troy Franklin. I thought that was an okay play call, but – I'd more blame Will Stein on the play call than to do Dan Lanning the decisions. This is what Dan Lanning does. He goes for fourth downs. He is aggressive, ultimately, all the time. So I don't have any fault with what Dan Lanning did. If if anything, it would be the one right before halftime, get points, get the momentum, get the ball back, try to score again. But, John, I have no problem with what Lanning did. I, I have more of a problem with the play call and the play calling uh, than I do with Lanning. I, you know, like, like, in
1: the press box... Ninety-nine percent of the media members were banging their shoe on the table, saying Landing did the wrong thing. And I was sitting there going, "Yeah, you can say that, but if you're saying that, you don't really understand who Dan Landing is. He's the guy who's out recruiting, getting the five-star players, smoking the cigar after he is, you know, plays a little young in his recruiting game, connects with P- the the players that he's recruiting because of it. And I think his players had to love. Like I was down on the sideline at the end of the game. Bo Nix is yelling at the sideline, "Let's go." He wanted to go for it on fourth down, and Dan Lanning's going, I believe in you. You came back for me to play another season. And so maybe he needs someone in his ear to go, hey, you know, bad situation. Let's not give Penix Jr., you know, a 53 yard field here. Let's try to give him a 75 yard field to play with and give our defense a little bit of cushion. But I think in the end, I understand what he was trying to do. But I that, still, would yeah. that really matter if you gave him 75
0: yards instead I of and, and I, I don't think it would have. Not the way Penix is playing. Right, and that that's yeah. my argument, too, is that I don't think that t- extra 20, 30 yards is really going to help in that situation. The Ducks' defense is going to be in the prevent style. They're going to be giving up stuff underneath. Washington's going to go down and get a chance to score again. At least this way, the way they gave up the touchdown, they got the ball back with plenty of time and got in field goal range like I think, I, I think, ultimately, it was the right decision. The play calling is the only thing I have a problem with, but I think Penix goes down and scores a touchdown regardless, so yeah. you might I, as well try to time. win the game.
1: I had a hard time with the play calling on third down than I did on fourth down, but I want to go to the phone lines. Mark's in Portland. Mark, you're going to lead us off here. Tell us what you thought of the game on Saturday.
3: Well, uh, you guys always talk about in football that whoever wins the turnover game is going to win the football game, and I'm here to tell you that... Uh, uh, Oregon lost the turnover game, and the, <clears throat> the reason is, even though their players didn't turn the ball over, no matter how you guys spin it, Dan Lanning and the coaching staff turned the ball over three times. What do they say when you don't uh, pick up the, the fourth and three at the end instead of punting? It's a turnover on downs. So, it's to me, he, he, they
1: failed. No matter what you say, they failed on all three of those. And not taking the momentum after a turnover – in the first half, yeah, but, yeah, right, Kyle Shanahan fail at the end of the forty nine er game. Ah, uh, they turn the ball over. No, uh, they miss a uh, field goal. They, they miss they a field goal. Gonna, I I, the,
3: I got you know, lost like, interest in that game because they weren't going
1: to cover <laughs> the spread. Okay, okay. But my point is this: like he gets in the end zone on one of those fourth downs. You know, all he has to do is go one for two, and he's ahead, right? It, instead of kicking the field goal. So I understand the logic. If you know, if you have. If you're playing Oregon State in that situation, you take the field goal. If you're playing Michael Penix Jr., you have to consider you're trading sevens for threes, and they were at that point of the game. Oregon was down 22-18 right before half. They got a really fortunate turnover. They had the ball. They drove down. They're up against the clock. They're up against down and distance. And in that situation, I didn't mind him going for it. I, I thought the second one, it's interesting that people are focused on the one right before half, saying that was the mistake. I thought the second one was different because the second one would have made it a one-score game, and I think in that situation I was going, "Look, Oregon had got the ball to start the second half, did not score, had an opportunity to make it a one-score game." I don't know. You tell me. Roy's in Portland.
4: Roy, go ahead. Yeah, first of all, John, I want to. You got to give it up for Washington, man. That offense is a that, that. This is what you see with a well-tuned machine offense with the, with continuity what everybody stays together, coordinating the team says your their system is is, is is a well is a fine tuned machine. And I, I will say their offense is better than is better than USC offense. It's just a fine tuned machine, man. You can't just you can't stop it. You really can't. And Dan Lanning man you know Dan man, I'm gonna start calling Dan Casino Dan. That's his new name. Casino. That's Never his name. Dan. Because listen, yeah. man. You always take the points, man. On the road, you on the road with a fine-tuned machine Washington offense. You take the points, okay? You don't you don't get fancy. You don't try to go for it on fourth down. You take the points every time, always. I don't care what nobody said. You always take the points, okay? Because you didn't. Because look at the end. Look at the the score, man. If you would have kicked those field goals, you would have won the game. Am I right? If you would have made those field goals. I don't know. You just you just
1: said you just said Michael Penix Jr. is a fine-tuned machine. What if they What if they onside kick get the ball back? I mean, I understand like you the idea of taking the points, especially when it's a gift. But when you're up against Penix, it's hard for me to take threes when I'm in that game. You know, and I, I, and I love that he went for two on the first touchdown because it changed the early part of the game. And it's that same yeah. kind of gambling mentality. That people are now criticizing. And I'm going. To go, Wait a minute! You were applauding him to, for going for two because he got it, and then criticizing him for going for the touchdown because he didn't.
4: Well, John, I wasn't really applaud him for going for two. I, I just want him to listen. When you're on the road and you're playing a difficult opponent like a Washington, you don't start doing like, like, like Mark, like, like Mark. You don't start doing stuff like that. I can see once in a while you may go for the fourth, you know, go for it on fourth down. But he was just doing too much, man. Right. Dan Lanning was doing way too much, man. Listen, man, He needed. this is this, this. is when you have a, a, a first-time, I'm not going to say like a, a, a coach that's a first-time head coach that came from being an assistant coach. Maybe if he had more more games under his belt and more experience as being the head coach, he wouldn't have did what he did on, on Saturday. I, I don't agree with anything yeah. he did. He was gambling too much, and it cost him the game. I really do think it cost him. They could have yeah. won that game. Yeah, they should have won should've it. Won that game. They
1: they outgained them, they outplayed them, they outfirst downed them. They ran more offensive plays. They had more yards per per play run. It you know it was Mike, and I got to give I got to give Washington credit. I mean, the caller's right. Step back and appreciate what we saw. That was a special quarterback doing special things with outstanding wide receivers. Put a lot of pressure on Oregon to be almost perfect in the game. Now Oregon wasn't perfect. Oregon made some mistakes. Offensive line missed some blocks. Thought the play calls in certain situations were wonky. And uh, obviously the strategy has been a second-guessing uh, palooza in the wake of the Washington
0: game. What do you think of this, John? Because I like the fact that Dan Lanning has a style and he sticks to it, right? Like he wants to be aggressive. He wants to go for it on fourth down. Yeah, but I also but I understand the people
1: who are saying, hey, you know, there's a balance yeah, there. There is, you know. But
0: like, I was talking to Jude, and he's like, well, I agree with that, but at the same time, we saw what Will Stein was calling in third and fourth down situations. You have to adjust in that situation, right? Like, he should have punted because of the, the evidence that we had earlier in the game. Like,
1: that. I don't— But here's what hot. I saw. Here's what I saw in his eyes, okay? He comes into the post-game news conference. He just lost the football game. He's It's emotionally raw. He's sitting down. He starts – people start to question him. I could tell he knew he had screwed up and he was evaluating on the fly in that moment. I also thought he said something about, you know, hey, if we can get the three yards there, it's game over. He saw an opportunity to grab a victory. It was within nine feet of him. You know, if we can move the ball three yards here, we can complete one pass with Bo Nix at quarterback. We are walking off winners at Washington. And he went for it in that situation. I can tell you what Dan Lanning's doing at the blackjack table. He's doubling down. He has an opportunity to win. He's going for it. Chris yeah. is in West Lynn. Chris, go ahead. Welcome to the show.
4: Hey, John. Hey. Um,
5: yeah, I was up the game, and um, I, I, the game was great. It really was. That the defense came on, and everybody can you know, choose what if he should have or shouldn't
3: have.
4: And me and friend got a big argument back there. He was just trying to understand how wrong Lanning was. And Lanning was trying to get the momentum, and he, he gambles it. And it happened, you know. And, you know, I might have thought on the last one he should have punted. But, you know, Dan, that double down Dan, you know, he, he goes for it. And, he, you know, I'm all on Lanning, you know, and loved it. Uh, I got to tell you, it was a little rough with
5: the Washington Husky fans up there. I've never been to a game where it's just obnoxious. But, you know, it happens when you go. Um, yeah, so that's,
1: yeah. that's all part of it. Um, yeah, it, yeah I, thought the, I thought it was a great game. I would love to see a rematch between these two teams. It's one of the, I think, important things that's being lost in the Oregon-Washington discussion. A lot of focus on Dan Lanning's strategy. A lot of focus on the missed kick at the end of regulation. A lot of focus on the, the greatness of Michael Penix Jr., understandably so. Washington's offense was lights out. Not enough focus, I don't think, on the idea of how easily these two teams could have switched roles on Saturday and how simple it will be for these two teams to simply get back to a position that they would play a rematch. I was on the sideline at the end of the game, and Camden Lewis' kick goes wide right. The Washington fans erupt. There's a groan on the Oregon sideline. There were tears on both sides. It is a rare occasion when you will see players on both sides of the field crying after a game. Michael Penix Jr. had to wipe away tears. His offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, had to wipe away tears after the game. Several Oregon players, I walked over to the visiting locker room outside Husky Stadium before they went into the locker room, knelt down, and had tears running down their cheeks. Oregon would love another opportunity to get Washington. And I think Washington would probably welcome another opportunity to play in a game like that, specifically if it means that it's a gateway to a college football playoff berth. But as I am looking at these two teams, Kalen Abor's Washington team, Dan Lanning's Oregon team, I felt like I was watching chapter one or episode one of a, of a miniseries that we're going to see. It left me wanting more. I wanted to see another quarter of football with these two teams. I wanted to see them go back and forth. I want to see Penix, who was cramping up during the game and throwing touchdown passes, and Bo Nix, who was almost perfect in playing opposite Penix at the quarterback position. I want to see more of that. I would love to see a rematch in Las Vegas. What will it take? Well, Washington's got a mulligan. Washington can afford to lose a game and still get to Vegas. That's what they really want on Saturday. And the Oregon Ducks, they've got to be perfect. They've got to go and beat Washington State this week. They've got to go to Utah and win. They're going to have to, down the stretch, play an Oregon State team in a game that I think is going to be really difficult. And, oh, before that, they're going to have to play USC at home. And Oregon's going to have to navigate that without a loss to have a legitimate shot, straight-faced, to argue that they belong in Las Vegas. Like, you know, football's not war. It's not. We always use euphemisms and... Idioms that remind us of war. It's a long bomb. It's do or die. It's really not. But these football teams put on an amazing display of college football on Saturday. And from a fan standpoint or a journalist standpoint, I was sitting back going, yes, this is everything that's right in college football. It's two quarterbacks who came back to their respective teams instead of turning pro because of name image likeness, probably. It's coaches, two coaches who have prepared their teams for this culminating moment. They're meeting on the field. And, in large part, they play damn near 60 minutes even. And we're left at the end quibbling over strategy decisions and third downs and fourth downs. But I, you know, as I'm walking off the field, I'm going, rematch. I would like to see more of this. I won't complain if these two teams make it to Las Vegas and play for the Pac-12 championship. I really won't. Let's go back to the phone lines. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five is the number. Chuck is in Canby. Chuck, welcome to the conversation.
5: Hey John,
6: Stephen touched on it. Um, I was more disappointed in the actual play calls on those sprint out passes on fourth down because you know you're eliminating two thirds of the field unless you're going to throw something. You know, uh, against your rollout, and if you don't have what's in front of you, you're kind of you're kind of screwed. So I didn't like that play calling. I kind of feel like if uh, I don't want to judge Will Stein yet, but I feel like Kenny Dillingham might have been a little more creative, or even Joe Morehead, when we had him. Um, so that was my biggest gripe. Um, yeah. And then I have a question: Is Ferguson hurt, or did he just fake that injury?
1: He <laughs> looked and like he faked it.
6: I'll he just looked like, your yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. He grabbed one knee than the other, and I can't find any injury
5: reports online. Yeah. So I saw him
1: walking. I saw him walking off the field. It's, that's we got to talk about that too. Coming up. I think it's a bad look for Oregon when, when that happens. I don't, I don't want to disparage somebody if they're really hurt, but it was very suspicious, and he walked off the field without problem at the end of the game. 503-417-7575 is a phone number. I want you to weigh in on that. We'll talk Oregon State coming up as well. You got the bald-faced truth. 503-417-7575, I want your phone calls. Tell me what you made of Dan Landing's strategy at the end of the Oregon game. Tell me what you make of where Oregon State is sitting. How important is it for the Beavers to ensure that Jonathan Smith is around beyond this season? Uh, keep an eye on that. I know they extended his contract uh, uh, last year, last December, but I'm kind of thinking if I'm Scott Barnes, the Oregon State AD, I might be working on something for Jonathan Smith. 503-417-7575. I want your phone calls on that front. Your turn to vent. You've been complaining to your friends to your neighbors to your children it's time for you to weigh weigh in on this radio show uh
0: do so right now you have the platform i have a couple of questions for you john yeah. uh okay so one so you talk about oregon and washington being the two best teams on the conference which is probably true uh do you think this is the type of loss an emotional loss for the ducks where it's gonna be hard to get back up and run the table because i think it's gonna be tough and then on that front Where's the, where's the loss in this schedule if the Ducks are to lose? Is it Oregon State? Is yeah. that the toughest matchup yet? Or is it USC? I, I think I think it might be Oregon State in that final game of the season. That might be the toughest game for the Ducks.
1: Yeah, Somebody asked me that question in the Monday mailbag. I wrote it today at johnconzano.com if you want to check out all those great questions and answers. But, you know, I'll, I'll say this. The strength of the Pac-12 conference is clearly in the Pacific Northwest. If you look at the pods under the You know, the Pac-12 system that were created in the Bay Area, in Arizona, in L.A., the original Pac-12 pods that were created, the four-team grouping in the Pacific Northwest is nothing short of lights out this season. It's true, Washington State's got some problems right now. It looks like it's taken a step backwards. But if you look at how good Washington is, how good Oregon is, how good Oregon State is, those teams are dangerous. They're dangerous to each other, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but they are dangerous to the rest of the conference. They've been a wrecking ball against the rest of the conference, and it was on display on Saturday. I mean, it looks to me like there's a gap between Oregon and Washington and then a gap down to Oregon State. But I still look at those teams and I say, any given day, those teams playing well, they can win. Now, there's some risks on the schedule for Oregon moving forward. They've got a game at Rice-Eccles Stadium on October 28th where they have to go play Utah. Going into that stadium is like putting your hand in a blender. You know, do it at your own risk. That is a uh, hostile environment. There's no telling if Cam Rising could be back for that game or if he's gone for the season. Who knows with Utah? But that is a really dicey game for Oregon. You've got the game against USC at home. I'm not as worried about it from an Oregon standpoint if you're out there rooting for a rematch of Oregon and Washington. And the season, the regular season finale, on that Black Friday, where Oregon State will travel to Autzen Stadium, is going to be an absolute thriller. I don't care what the records are when those teams arrive. I don't care what ultimately the stakes are. Feels like it could have huge implications. Feels like the winner could be going to the Pac-12 championship game. But I can tell you that Oregon State's going to show up with a lot of emotion. Not just because it's their rival, not just because it's a big football game, it's gonna it's bound to have a big national TV audience, but because that game is going to be backloaded with all of the Pac-12 implosion, emotion, you got left behind, you you know, we dissed you all of that emotion is gonna be wrapped up into that game. It's a really dangerous game for Oregon and a big game for Oregon State. But again, look at the teams of the Pacific Northwest. I'll take this group of four and play them against any four regional teams in America and say, all right, let's have a tournament. Put these four against anybody else's four. The strength of the Pac-12 Conference is in the Pacific Northwest, and it was there last year, and it has been there, and it's just blossomed. And it's amazing to see that. So, yeah, I'm looking at Washington, and I'm looking at Oregon going, hey, we could have a rematch in Vegas. But before that, come November 24th, well, you know, your neighbors are out shopping for flat-screen TVs and Christmas gifts on Black Friday. Here comes Oregon State going to Autzen Stadium in a game that could be the gateway to the Pac-12 championship game. Like, it's evident to me that, like, that that could be it. That, you know, whoever wins that game goes to Vegas and maybe plays Washington. It's going to be, like, the Pacific Northwest is just such a beautiful thing to see the Pac-12 football teams in this Read the state, really compete. But you cannot have two losses. And this is a note to Washington, who, who could lose two games. They've got to play USC. They've got to play Utah. They've got to go to Oregon State. It's a note to Oregon State, who is hosting some of those teams, playing Oregon on the road, and it's a note to Oregon. Oregon and Oregon State cannot lose for the rest of the season. Washington's got one mulligan. Good luck to everybody, but I have a feeling that the the, the matchup in Vegas is going to be two Pacific Northwest teams. I said at the beginning of the year, I thought, could it be Oregon and Oregon State? Guess what? It could be Washington and Oregon State. It could be Washington and Oregon. It could, yeah, it could be Oregon and Oregon State. there's a there's a potential here for the Pacific Northwest to dominate the final year of the Pac twelve conference. And I don't think anybody would look at you and say that's a crazy thought to and see
0: those teams ending up there. And you look at Oregon State, the way they played their offense seems like it's cooking now a little bit like, that's going to be a tough stretch for Washington to go on the road to Corvallis and then Washington State. So you're right. Like, th- th- this match between Oregon and Washington was just like the preview of what's to come down the stretch for this Pac 12 conference. It's going to come down to the final games. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: I think, too, Oregon State gets better and better every year. We watch them at the end of the year. The end of the season last year they were a better team than at the beginning of the season. I think if the, if Oregon State plays Washington State this week, Oregon State wins that game. They got them at the wrong time. Oregon State hadn't quite figured out what it was, but since the second half of that Washington State game, the Oregon State offense has been lights out and the defense is good enough. And you throw in the complicating factor of Reesur Stadium, you know, nothing's a gimme. Utah went in there and, and scored 7 points. Or Washington could go into Reesur Stadium and have a difficult time with that crowd. The noise on Saturday as they were playing UCLA was deafening. There were about four or five snaps that were altered by the Oregon State, you know, crowd and the crowd at Research Stadium. It's just uh, it's a fun thing to watch. All right, I want some phone calls here? Let's go to Steve, who's in Curvallis. Steve, welcome to the conversation.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me. Just want to say what a great show. I didn't Thank see you. the second half of the Duck game because I was getting ready for the Beaver game. But when I heard you talking, the first thing that came into my mind was when Dan Lanning went for it on fourth down in last year's Civil War game. Yeah, I mean, the momentum had already shifted, but going for it right there, will he learn from his mistakes?
1: I don't know. And I don't know that he views it necessarily as a mistake. He talked about analytics. And I'll go back to last year's Civil War football game. I think Dan Lanning knew that his defense could not stop Oregon State. And I think, you know, in the game at Autzen Stadium last year where he goes for it on fourth down and one from his own 29 and doesn't get it, I think he knew that his defense could not stop Michael Penix Jr. I think on Saturday it was a little different. I think he was betting on his own offense in those situations, thinking on fourth and three, if we can get three yards, the game's over. I'm not going to give the ball back to Michael Penix Jr., I'm going to, my offense can win it right here. I think that's where his mind was. And, I, and we've all seen people who believe so deeply in what they're doing that they become a little blind to the situation. And I think that that was part of it on Saturday. And maybe Dan Lanning needs an, ex, an assistant coach to get in his ear and tell him, hey, coach, maybe, uh, maybe this isn't a great situation to go for it on uh, fourth down. Maybe we need to kick the field goal here. Maybe, maybe he needs somebody like that in his ear. Or maybe he did have someone in his ear and he just said, to hell with it, we're going for it. You know, you, you know his personality. I just don't want him to stop being Dan Lanning. You know what I mean? I mean, he's got to find that lane where he doesn't delve into stupidity in strategic situations, but stays on the aggressive side of the line. And that's a fine line for a lot of coaches to walk. And I think we've seen Mario Cristobal, a great example, criticized roundly by Oregon fans for not being aggressive enough, not going for it in situations, laying up when he had an opportunity to, you know, to drive a uh, stake through the heart of an opponent. And I'm not going to say that Dan Lanning's decision-making was anywhere close to what Mario Cristobal did uh, in not taking a knee in the Miami game. That was just asinine. But Dan Lanning, it was aggression that that veered into recklessness and i think he's got to find that line and as a 37 year old head coach i think you know he's a guy who's trying to trying to walk that line and figure out who he is as a head coach let's go to the phone lines paul is in west lynn paul welcome to the program
5: howdy john how you doing can you hear me okay
1: yeah i got you well
5: okay i'm in the car uh, I want to point out something. I think you and I are parallel universes because I'm bald. My dad played semi-pro baseball. My mom's a nurse. I grew up with Bay Area teams, and I have three daughters.
1: There you go. <laughs> I feel your pain, my friend. Boxes. I
3: feel your pain. I feel your pain.
5: <laughs> we call it the estrogen ocean. Anyway, uh, great game. No matter what the outcome. And I want to point out that Washington went for it on a goal-line stance where we stopped them, yeah, and I think right. that was the attitude of both coaches, that you had to push the envelope a little bit to win that game.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that we were watching a little bit of that. You can see the two coaching staffs pushing each other a little bit. Dan Lanning goes for two, right, on the opening touchdown. Kalen DeBoer comes right back. He He's chasing. He tries to go for two and doesn't get it. And then, you know, you had back and forth, back and forth. I, I don't know. I didn't mind it. Uh, I don't think – I think you can nitpick it. Of course, if he kicks a field goal, they're in a different situation at the end of the game. But what what happens if it's a missed field goal? Then everybody's going, hey, you didn't go for it. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Mike is in Portland. Welcome back, Mike. How you doing, man?
5: Say, hey, John. Hey, man, I'm a little confused about how you guys have given uh, Dan Lennon all these phrases because I look at Mark Helford – first year of the head coach. His record was 11 and 2. Right. Dan Lennon's uh, record, 10 and 3. And the second year, Mark Helford won 13 games and lost two and then went to the college playoffs. And in the end, everybody said he wasn't good enough and they fired him. So Dan Lennon haven't even came up to Mark Helford's standards. So I don't know why you guys out there all excited about Dan Lennon. The guy is immature. He's thirty some years old. He went out and hired a high school coach to be his assistant. The guy's immature, and he don't he ain't been in the world long enough to have wisdom. That's why he keeps making these bad decisions. Yeah. So Helfrich you-
1: Helfridge went four and eight though, and I think to be fair, that's that's what caused. if Mark Helfrich had gone eight and four in that next year he would have kept his job don't you think
5: no in his second year mark helper went 13 and 2 in yeah, his second you, year he had, yeah, he he had, a, to the, he had the heisman
1: trophy yeah but he had the heisman trophy winner he had he had a lot of advantages that were given him by chip kelly i'm not saying dan Lanning's perfect here like he's not he lost the football game he should have won the game but i gotta ask you too what the heck happened to colorado on friday night that but was John, insane
5: uh, that was John insane colorado- colorado's in the building mode and they still might be bowl eligible but for the first year that's great that's going to be great dan lanning wouldn't have been able to do it when dan lanning took his team over the team was put together it was already a built team he hasn't done anything why don't you understand understand that? all right all
1: right I, i hear what you're saying you're on the record you don't like what Lanning's doing but what happened? You didn't call back in after you predicted Colorado would beat Oregon. And I'm not going to pick on you because, I, you know, we all predict things that don't come true. What happened? What happened John, in that you, game?
5: John, you mean to show me you've been waiting all this time? <laughs> <laughs> you know I love you, Mike. You know. Yeah, You're ter- you terrible, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll talk to you. <laughs> I
0: love that he called in.
1: Good on him for calling back. You know? Been waiting for that one,
0: Steven, You know, he yeah. Called. That that was the thing is uh, the the disappearance of Mike. It, we wanted to hear from him after that Oregon Colorado game. I don't mind and,
1: people being wrong. Just oh, you know, call well, back. Let's talk about it. Yeah, you know? I'm
0: wrong all the time. It's it's, it's fine. And, and I'm so I'm glad he's back. And oh. I'm glad he's back in and on this thing. But yeah, I mean that Stanford <laughs> game. Uh, that was pretty wild Woo! to start the week. And then you look at the Oregon game. And uh, Pac-12 is wild place, John.
1: It was a weird weekend in general for the NFL for the Pac-12. There was, there's wonky things that happen. Call back and face the music, right or wrong. Although, by the way, I was 4-1-1 one, and one with my Pac-12 picks. This so year. you're not wrong. I'm not wrong about those. But you know what? Straight up, I missed like two or three. I wasn't good straight up. I was good against the spread. Like, you know, I had Stanford covering. I didn't have Stanford winning that game. Who in their right mind would have picked him to beat Colorado? And I had I picked Oregon to beat Washington. I thought they would win a close game over Washington and didn't happen. I want your phone calls 503-417-7575. 49ers lose at the end of regulation on a missed field goal. The Ducks lose on a missed field goal and some questionable strategy. Dan Lanning just kick one of those field goals. Nobody would have been questioning you. Uh, uh at the there was a weird NFL weekend. Even the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football had to really worked to not get embarrassed and lose to the New York Giants. What was so weird about the weekend? The Eagles lost. Steven, I mean, look around. It was wonky.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe we're just getting closer to Halloween or something, you know, just the spookiness. But it was uh, it was a weird weekend for sure, especially, I thought, in the NFL, just like you said, the 49ers, uh, you know, a couple injuries I think really hurt them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Eagles lose to the Jets and Zach Wilson and then the Bills, that no-show. I mean, we were texted throughout that Sunday night game, just kind of like, what is going on here? Like, what is wrong with the Bills? Is it something more than what we're looking at, or is it just a bad game? And I don't know what the what the answer is on that one, but things are getting spooky, John. Getting real spooky.
1: Really, uh, it was Pac-12 after dark that extended throughout the weekend. Oregon State with a big win at home, beat Chip Kelly and UCLA convincingly 36-24. Good win for Jonathan Smith. I do think Oregon State needs to be proactive with Jonathan Smith's contract. I think... You know, we saw Scott Barnes, the athletic director, get a three-year contract extension. That happened last week. And, uh, you know, there's so so much uncertainty with the Pac-2 and what are they going to do and all of that stuff. I mean, I think they know what they're going to do. They just haven't made it public. Uh, There's so much uncertainty about it. I do think it would be really important for Oregon State right now. Keep an eye on this. Right now I think it would be important for Oregon State to extend Jonathan Smith. Raise his buyout. His buyout is $3 million. They owe him five more years on his contract. Give him a sixth year. Give him a seventh year. I wouldn't go too far beyond that. But give him a sixth or seventh year. Give him a bump in pay. And use that leverage to increase his buyout to a position that signals to the players on the current roster that Jonathan Smith's going to be there. It's got to be part of their plan. The Pac-2 plan. They have to be able to tell their players with a straight face, "Hey, the coaches are going to be here," and Oregon State can mostly say that about Jonathan Smith because he's a um, he is a uh, you know a, a guy who went to college there who understands the um, the you know the landscape, knows what it takes to win. But you know he's he's sixteen and four in his last twenty games at Oregon State. Give him, show him the money, and and raise the buyout. Get that buyout up above. 5 ten million $8, $10 million in the next two years. They need a massive buyout. It's got to be part of the strategy. And I don't know anything. Nobody's told me anything. Nobody's whispered in my ear. But I'm going to tell you, I think something's coming here on the Oregon State-Washington State front in the next seven to ten days, and I will not be surprised if it includes some contract extensions for the coaches involved, Jake Dickert, Jonathan Smith, and, because they have to paint the image of stability for their coaching staff and for their players. Uh, let's go to Cam, who is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports, Eugene. Cam, what's up, man?
3: Hey, John. My Ducks, my 49ers, my kingdom for a kicker. My kingdom for a kicker. And I like Camden Lewis, Camden Lewis too. I don't want to say anything too bad about him. But it's definitely a rough weekend in the football world. i got to take issue with that decision at the end of the first half to try and get the touchdown. I want to know what the field goal attempt looks like at the end of the game. If Camden Lewis gets an easy chip shot of a field goal to build some confidence against that hostile crowd at the end of the first half. I also got to take issue with the second swinging gate, the second two-point conversion uh, that they took. I just thought that was too risky. You get it once, great. If the other team gets a uh, two-point conversion and ties it back up, oh, well. You ha- you got it and you had it. You don't want to go for it twice in one game. You're going to telegraph it. And speaking mm-hmm. of telegraphing things, calling a sprint out a veer play basically where half the field's eliminated like one of your last callers pointed out, at the end of the game after there's been a pause when the defense can see it coming, that's not the time you call that play. That is a rush to the line of scrimmage in a dead sprint and call it as quick as you can before the defense knows what you're doing um, if that's the way you're going to go. And I appreciate what Dan Lanning's doing. I really do. Everybody knows where the swinging gate's coming from, where the the, the quick snaps are coming from when they happen, but he just needs to cool it off a
2: little bit.
1: I think he's got to find a that. And I, and I think it's okay for the rest of us to question it, too. I mean, it's sports. It's not war. We're not in Israel. You know, there, you're you're not in the... Uh, you're not in... Uh, this isn't Russia and China. This, this isn't even the economy. It isn't famine. It isn't poverty. It's college football, and it's supposed to be fun. But there's a line with going for it and being reckless that Dan Lanning's got to find. And he didn't find it from last year to this year, but I also was watching that game and I'm like, so much of his personality is evident in how he called that game and how when he went for it. I was right by him when he went onto the field before the game for one He was amped. His players were fired up. You don't see Chip Kelly coming onto the field that way because it's not his game. It's not his style. But that's Dan Lanning. Let's go to Dre in Portland. Dre, welcome to the conversation. Appreciate you. I got to say,
5: Oregon State looked great. Lanning let his ego get to him. You can see it. He should have let the players win the game. That's why you play Mm -hmm. the game. If that wasn't the time to set the tone and show people what your reputation is, this is how we do it. Let the players win the game, man. I, I feel bad for the guys because coach let him down but after watching the weekend man what, what what I really took out of it was I'm gonna miss the Pac-12 <laughs> yes. I am going to miss this vibe yeah. it is not going to be the same people can say whatever they want to say teams will still play each other there's something about West Coast Pac-12 yeah. even back when it was the Pac-10 they yeah. play each other and we they- got
1: we got to go Dre but you are spitting truth. Washington State is a mystery wrapped in an enigma, waving a flag. That's the best way I I, I... I don't know what's going on with Washington State. I thought just a couple of weeks ago, this could be a team that surprises everyone, shocks the world, challenges for the Pac-12 championship game berth, beat Oregon State 38-35, Just, what, three weekends ago? Then they suddenly can't do anything. Or maybe they got figured out. Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, will be on tomorrow's show. I'll ask him. But in the meantime, I want to get a view from the press box. And there's nobody better covering this team than Greg Woods, who was there to see this team lose to Arizona in embarrassing fashion. Over the weekend, 44-6. to 44-6. I didn't see that one coming. I thought Arizona would hang around. But Greg Woods, Spokesman Review, covers Washington State, is joining us. Uh, how early in that game, Greg, did, did it feel to you like, uh-oh, something's not right with Washington State?
6: Uh, pretty early because, well, so they open with a touchdown on their very first drive, and then they go for two for... God knows what reason, uh, don't get it. Uh, Arizona proceeds to go take the lead. And then while Z just keeps trying these like weird, creative plays, which you know have worked, but it felt a little too early in the game for those, and those got away from them, and then from there it was kind of all downhill for them.
1: Give me an idea of what you think is going on. Is it as simple as they've been figured out, or are they not executing? What do you see? Well, <clears throat> to me – the only thing that really matters with this team
6: in terms of trying to get it turned around is can they run the ball? Uh, the answer for the past two weeks has been no. I mean, the, whole, the whole season has been, the answer has been no. Um, but I think the last two games, they've really struggled because UCLA figured this out and then Arizona took a page out of their book, which, which was to rush three and drop eight in coverage and make sure they came Ward to see nobody uh, down the field, um, which you know would be one thing, um, but then, I mean, UCLA and Arizona got pressure with three. So it wasn't like, you know, Kim Ward is dropping back and seeing nobody. Like, he's also getting pressure, um, even when these last two teams have only rushed three or four. Um, so, and so, like, I, I just don't think anybody really respects their run game, um, and probably rightfully so. And so I think, like, until they prove they can beat this, this uh, you know, dollar package, as, uh, you know, they called it it, I, I don't think that uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for sure.
1: The morale element, uh, obviously there's a element here where this was a team that was flying high. It was very much focused on us against the world. That now seems to have shifted a little bit. In your mind, do you think Jake Dickert got away from making it about the opponent in the game? and Was there an emotional letdown, or is that a reach? No, I think that's a little bit of a
6: reach. I, I, I think that he's always been... Kind of focused internally, and you know, you know, what can we do to turn this around? Because, I mean, truthfully, it hasn't really mattered. You know, in terms of the last two weeks, who they've been facing, um, they really, you know, can, cannot hold up up front. You know, cannot run the ball, and so I think, like in that way, he's, he's always been, you know, kind of focused internally and um, looking in the mirror and trying to figure out, you know, what you know, what can we do with the team we have right now? Because, because, um, like I, I kind of like you wrote about, I mean, this is not the NFL where you can just, you know. Flip your left tackle for a new left tackle. You, you know you can't, you know, get get new draft picks and land you know a different quarterback. So I just think that like they realize that you know, that kind of what they have is what they have. And so I, I think he's, you know he's, he's always kind of focused, you know, on on you know the team for sure.
1: Probably r- rather not see Oregon in the wake of that, especially Oregon coming off a loss. How is Washington State feeling? And and how does the how do these teams match up in your mind?
6: Well, I mean, I think uh, Oregon will probably do exactly what Arizona and UCLA did was, you know, like I said, rush three or four and then drop everybody else in coverage. Um, And I I think that's the way to beat these guys right now because um, for them, the answer is to run the ball and and do that in a way that, you know, where the the, the defense feels like, you know, they need to crowd the box and bring their guys up. Otherwise, they're going to drop everybody else in coverage and force Kim Ward to make a a bad throw or two like he did uh, against UCLA, like he did against Arizona. So I think that, like, yeah, I mean, Oregon obviously is is a a tall task and definitely not the team you want to face coming off these two losses. But I think the opponent has not really mattered as much as, like, the schemes um, that they've rolled out. and, And right now, these guys just have no answer for that right now.
1: We're talking to Greg Woods, Spokesman Review, covers Washington State. Let's focus on Cam Ward. What was he doing early in the season, maybe, that you don't see consistently now?
6: I think recently he's been a little bit more hesitant with the ball in his hands. It's not been coming out nearly as quickly, um, which to me is a function of the defense is kind of adjusting to him. I mean, early in the season, um, teams were – He's getting blitzed a lot more, um, you know, a lot more guys in the box, and so one that forced him to get the ball out faster, and you know, he had more options downfield and whatnot. Um, but recently, like I said, they uh, they're really daring him to run the ball, and they're dropping everybody else in coverage, and and so now you know he rolls out, and usually you know when he's getting blitzed or there's pressure, he can find somebody open on the run, which he's still awesome at. But when there's you know seven eight guys in coverage down the field. I mean, you could have Randy Boss, you know, run around and it's like, yeah, good luck. I mean, <laughs> right. There's just not much you can do at that point.
1: It's interesting because that, that dropping of eight, rushing of three, teams did that to Mike Leach. And when you don't have a run game or maybe you don't commit to running and hurting the team, it does leave a quarterback sitting back there with nowhere to go with the football. Do, do you get a sense that Jake Dickert is going to try something new this week given that, that teams have adjusted to him?
6: Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing is, like, what can you do? Like, I think if they had the answer, they would have shown it by now. I think, like, they have tried some things, like, last week. I mean, on Saturday, they um, they started a different – well, they, they moved their left guard to left tackle and bumped out their left tackle for the first half. Um, that did not go well because their left guard, Christian Hoborn, is more of a guard than a tackle. Um, so, I mean, they've tried some things on the offensive line. Um, to different results, and 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 I mean, I feel like none of that has really had any material effect on how these games are going. Um, and so, I, I just I just think that, like you know, your guys are your guys, right? Like you can't uh, change who you have in the middle of the season. They, um, I mean, I wrote a little bit about uh, you know some of the the younger guys who they might uh, give a little bit of run to. As long as they can, be, you know, uh, maintain the red shirt, things like that. But I mean, like, I don't, I don't know if at Oregon is the time to try that.
5: <laughs> right. So,
6: um, yeah, like they, I mean, they can try different things. They can, um, they might get their starting uh, tight end back this week, Cooper Mather's. So I just think that, like, you know, you can try what you can try, um, but at a certain point, if you can't force the team or the defense to respect your your run game, then I mean, you're kind of up the creek.
1: Did Oregon State just get Washington State at the wrong time, or is was there something about that matchup in your mind that was was advantageous to the Cougars?
6: Uh, I, I think at that point it was early enough in the season where what we know now about Washington's offense was not nearly as clear. Like I don't think that their offensive line had uh, kind of showed um, some of their weaknesses uh, in the run blocking game to the extent that we see them now. And so I just think it was a case of, like, you know, that was their fourth game of the season, and, you know, they had, and that was their first conference game, so they hadn't really sewed uh, much of the playbook, or kind of what, you know, what they want to do to that point. And so I think it was just a deal where, like, um, teams had not really figured out, like, how it could beat their offense, um, and so they still had that, that um, whatever you want to call it, maybe like a honeymoon phase of, like, hey, like, teams don't, don't realize that if you just rush three and drop everybody else in coverage, then... Um, then they can beat us. So I think like that was just early enough in the season where that was not clear. Um, and, and now it very much is clear, obviously.
1: <laughs> Greg Woods with us, Spokesman Review, covers Washington State. Look, I, I've talked a lot and written about the Pac-2 conference, what they're going to do next. It's going on in the background, Greg. And if we could just talk for a second about you know the future of Washington State and Oregon State here, I, I think it's really important that these programs – pretty soon come out with what their plan is are they going to play as a two if so what does it look like how important is it to player retention in your mind that Jake Dickert and to some extent Jonathan Smith look like they are sticking around that that they will be part of the program do you have a sense if Washington State is talking contract extension or maybe ready to do something like that
6: um, not to my knowledge. Uh, right now, Dicker is under contract through the twenty-seven season. He signed a, a a one-year extension back in January. So, um, to me, that would be like two extensions within. I mean, what like ten months? Um, so I'm not sure if that is super realistic. Um, but the good news for them is that like they have not like lost any big-time recruits. I mean, I don't think anybody, to my knowledge, has decommitted or flipped. Um, ever since this whole thing kind of started. Over the summer and spring so and that's i mean truly a testament to uh you know their coaching staff i know there's a story in the athletic the other day about how they've just been able to retain their guys and a lot of that is a credit to to jake you know being the head coach and uh kind of instilling them uh you know with a lot of confidence and um obviously like you know he doesn't know what's going to happen i mean none of us really know the truth of what's going to happen yet but i think it really is just a credit to those guys that they uh um have than saying whatever they're saying, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're saying the right things, obviously, you know, to their, uh, you know, to their guys that they have uh, committed. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't think it would be unrealistic. I mean, I, I'm definitely surprised a little bit that they haven't lost um, any of their guys. They've nothing lost the basketball pledge uh, earlier in the year, um, and he had said something to be effective, like, yeah, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable with the state of the league and kind of what's going to happen moving forward. Um, but in terms of the football man they really have uh, you know kept their guys committed um, so we'll have to see how that you know you know uh, you know of plays out
1: yeah and I think part of it too is in football like look at who Oregon State Washington State are, are recruiting against and you know it's right. not largely Washington and Oregon you know and they're not competing over a lot of the same guys of course they'd love to have some of those guys but they're they're largely trying to get three star guys and develop them and then retain them and not um and not have uh you know not have the thing hanging out in the background of like hey we don't know where we're going to go so i i kind of get the sense greg and people i'm talking with that they will get some clarity here certainly in front of december They want that, but I think they're going to go even sooner with it. I wouldn't be surprised to see it in the next 10 days or so, see some some kind of clarity there. Greg Woods with us with the Spokesman Review covering Washington State. All right, how big would an upset of Oregon be to the narrative of this season for for the Cougars?
6: I mean, it would be enormous for sure. I I don't, like, I have not even, like, thought too hard about that (laughs) because they're going to be, like, 20-point dogs in this game. I mean, it's a pretty daunting task, but... Um, for sure. If they won, I think it would be um, a, it's a statement about their offense. And, I mean, if they win, it will be because they figured out how to solve this problem of, you know, not being able to run the ball. Um, and that would be probably the biggest turnaround of this season if, if they figure out a way to beat this uh, drop eight and rush three scheme. Um, and if they do that, like I said, they I mean, their, their offense is kind of back to where they were, uh, you know, Earlier in the season so I think that would be like the most meaningful uh development that would come uh out of a win over Oregon for sure um obviously I mean they they probably get back in the rankings they uh I mean I don't know you know how that would affect recruiting like hey you know we just walked into Austin and and beat these guys um I I think in a lot of ways that would definitely turn their season around for sure um but you know like I said I, I think the biggest thing that that would mean for this team is their offense. Figured something out, whether it was running the ball, whether it was taking some more shorter, you know, underneath routes with Cam Ward, his his receivers. Um, I think that would be the biggest development because it would mean that you know, moving forward, um, they 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 figured this out and they're not, um, you know, they're not so you know susceptible to you know such a simple uh, you know scheme for sure.
1: Greg Woods, spokesman, review. Greg, I will see you in the press box. Are you having fun on this season, or has it been stressful? With the Pack Two stuff going on uh, in the background of the football, definitely a little stressful. But look, man, like I, I,
6: I feel so strongly about this. I cannot complain about this job, man. I mean, you and I get paid to watch to watch sports. Right about yes. sports, talk about. It. I'm like, come on, this is this is this is not real work. I mean, it is because you know people care about it. But but man, like I, I try not to complain ever because this is just such a, you know. Sweet line of work that we're in, and uh, yeah, I cannot play man.
1: Yeah, if I correct me if I'm wrong, you went to K State, Kansas State, is that right? That's right. Yep. All right. So, how do you think? Like, give me an idea. Utah in the Big Twelve. Like, I, I think Utah's going to go in there and just kick butt in that conference.
6: Maybe, man. I, I think that, like, I don't know, like a lot of the, uh, I, can't, I mean, I'm, I'm mean, not to back up my guys, but like, I mean, the Cats, K State defense has just been awesome. Um, And obviously, like without Cam Rising, they're a little bit of a different team. But I don't know, man. Like maybe I'm just like a Big Twelve homer, but I want to see it before before I can believe it. We'll see, though.
1: All right, Greg, I appreciate you, man. I will see you in the press box. That's Greg Woods from the Spokesman Review. He covers Washington State. I I don't think Washington State can beat Oregon. I think even if Oregon has a bad day, I think Oregon, as long as they show up in some semblance, wins that game. But I'm really disappointed to see what has happened to the Washington State season. I had them penciled in for a win over UCLA. I had them penciled in for a win over Arizona, and they have just fallen off to the point in the last couple weeks that I'm slapping my forehead. But it wasn't the biggest shock of the weekend. The biggest shock of the weekend came on Friday night, driving up to Seattle, and... I uh, am with uh, mainly the nine-year-old. She has taken the most interest in college football, so she'll be the one that will kind of, you know, kind of watch the game with me of the three daughters. And she knows that Stanford's not very good, and so we turn on the Stanford Colorado game on Friday night when we got up to Seattle. Anna and the kids are with me, and we t- and we turn it on, and the nine-year-old is sitting with me, and she's really interested to see what the score is as we turn the game on in the early in the third quarter. It's 29 to nothing. And she says, "Dad, just really disappointed with Stanford's offense. I thought, you know, they would score against Colorado." Like she knows that. She's 9. And I was like, "Yeah, I agree. Like I thought they would I thought they would uh, have their way with Colorado." And she proceeded to watch Stanford go up and down the field and by the time she was drifting off to sleep, Stanford was dancing around the field, w- winner of that football game, Steven. How remarkable. Was it to see Stanford
0: pull that off? Oh, it was crazy because uh, I was the same way. You know, I'm watching the first half and it's 29-0, and I'm like, man, this is – I thought it would be closer. Like, I thought Stanford was going to put up a fight. I thought Stanford would be able to do some things offensively. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, I, I went and I recorded a podcast, and then I look at the, my phone after that, and I'm like, oh, Stanford's back in the game. guess i got to go watch. So it was one of those things where it, it turned out the way we thought it would be, right? Like, Stanford can play with Colorado – but I still didn't think they were going to win the game. Being down 29-0 to come back like that, just a crazy feat. And I think a big win, it just shows how good of a coach Troy Taylor was. I think I texted you that. Like, I I just love that hire of Troy Taylor. I think once he gets the right guys in there, that Stanford program could be good once again. I don't know how how if they're competing in the ACC, but I think that they uh, are going to be one of the really good programs again. I just think that guy can coach.
1: Yeah. It, look, and he, after the game, he was very understated. I thought it was a really bad look by Colorado. Only a couple of the Colorado players went out onto the field to shake the hands of the Stanford players who just come back and beat them. Uh, I I watched video of it. I posted some video of it in today's piece at johnconzano.com if you want to watch it for yourself. But somebody said only one player went over to shake hands. And I watched the video. It was like three or four that went out and at least shook one Stanford player's hand. But a lot of the Colorado players, including Shador Sanders, are very disappointed in him, just turned and went to the locker room. A lot of finger-pointing down the stretch on the Colorado sideline. I thought it was a pretty interesting statement about the lack of unity. And maybe, like, I don't want to blame Coach Prime. I want to blame the portal. Like, he brought players through the portal. But I think sometimes... It's the same thing that plagued Oregon when Oregon was recruiting a bunch of players who liked the facilities and liked the locker room. They weren't necessarily recruiting guys that were grinders, right? And they were playing Oregon State late in the year that had Ryan Nall at running back. And I was like, okay, who's going to win that fight? You know, who's wearing the raincoats, right? You know, when we knew they, we had them, when they put the raincoats on, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think the Colorado transfer portal mentality also has a me, 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 me mentality attached to it. And I just kind of wonder if Colorado will pull itself together here down the stretch or if they're about to splinter in a million pieces. What do you think happens to Colorado in the next couple weeks, Stephen? You know, they line up and obviously they got a game uh, that they will play at UCLA in two weeks. And, you know, they're... I think they're off. Are they off this week? They're maybe they have a bye this week, and then they go, uh, then they go to UCLA on October 28.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bye week this week, and then it's UCLA on the road. Then it's Oregon State, Arizona at home, Washington State, Utah on the road. I, I think it's a much needed bye week for Colorado. I mean, think about it this way. And I'm the biggest. I'm one of the bigger Colorado fans out there, John. These teams are taking it personal, right? Like, after every play Stanford made on Stewart Sanders, everybody's throwing up their hand for the watch. Every single guy is. Every single person that wants to beat Colorado, and they made it that way, that's the way they want it. And you look at all of their games, they have had seven close games. I mean, the, the Nebraska game was, you know, it turned out to be a blowout, but that was a game into the second half that they had to try. They have played seven emotional, really tough games. It is a much needed break, a much needed bye week. I believe in Deion Sanders and what he's doing, so I think they're going to bounce back. I think they get to six wins somehow. I don't know where the wins are, but it's a much-needed bye week for this Colorado. I-, I think that they could just be emotionally drained, and that's how it could be. And, you know, as a guy who wants to see Colorado succeed, I'm hoping that's what happens.
1: Yeah, I, I look, I, I'm just going to be curious. Like, you're either a unifier or you're a divider. Like, there's just two kinds of people, you know. Um. So I just kind of... Look at that, and I go, what is going to happen to Colorado here? And Stanford was going at Travis Hunter. like they, It wasn't like they were throwing away and they found some weakness. No, Stanford was throwing at Colorado's best defensive back over and over and over again and then exploiting anybody else who got involved in a play, too, down the stretch. Like, credit to Stanford. It just kept playing. But you could see the expressions on the Colorado sideline. They were done. They couldn't stop him. And by the time Shador Sanders, like, you know, he made a bad throw in throwing the ball up for grabs in overtime. But I kind of get what he was doing. Like, he knew kicking a field goal wasn't going to get it done. He knew Stanford was going to score seven. and, and, And in the end, he left Stanford with the opportunity just to kick a field goal. Uh crazy stuff. Anna's popping into the studio. We'll have the five at five. We'll play some punch at audio. You got the BFT statewide. Anna's in the studio. Uh, you were up in Seattle. You didn't go to the Oregon Washington game, but were you aware as you were around Seattle on game day that there was a game that was going on in Seattle? Like did you have were you seeing purple? Were people talking about the game or because you were out kinda with the kids at like a museum, was it the anti-football crowd?
7: Uh, Well, no, it wasn't anti-football. There were a lot of uh, Husky uh, sweatshirts, T-shirts, hats, paraphernalia. Yeah, even at the Pacific Science Center, yes.
1: Really nice that you did that. Uh, I want to do two things. One, I want to hit on a, a series of football things here, but they also have to do with real life. Colorado loses to Stanford in a meltdown that was obviously very disappointing. Uh, Coach Prime and Colorado were um, disappointed after the game. I wouldn't say they were distraught. They looked distraught on the sideline. But by the time they arrive at the post-game news conference, they've kind of absorbed that. And then they're in a position where they're just kind of trying to make sense of of what happened. And there's some great sound that came out of that post-game news conference where, you know, people... Uh, we're uh, listening to Deion Sanders, but here he is.
2: Now the Buffs get ready for Stanford coming in. A Friday night game, short week for the Buffaloes this week. you got an 8 o'clock game. Gary and I are going to hit the air at 6 p.m. We'll be out in Dwayne Field again. Mr. Affleck will be out in Mathfield. Who makes on. these 8 o'clock games? they the dumbest thing I ever, I ever. I know, I know. It's those fellows over the television The stupidest thing line. ever invented in life. Who wants to stay up to 8 o'clock for a darn game? You wait till we do what it. What about the West Coast? Yes. I mean, the East Coast. Do they even care about ratings or anybody watching it? I don't. Uh, You're you supposed to do it. I'm sorry. I'm What are we supposed to do with the kids all day until 8 o'clock? Yeah. Wait till we're on the road. What are they, we supposed to yeah. do all day until 8 o'clock? So what are you supposed to do in the hotel? Yep. What, what are you supposed to do all yep. day? Watching football. Uh, who, who's playing and, and on then, Friday? And, and then the next day, <laughs> and then the next if when we have a game like that on the road, we get home at 5 o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God we're not going to be in this uh, conference. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. We'll be playing East of here. There'll be earlier games coming up.
1: Thank goodness they won't have to play Stanford anymore. <laughs> so he loses the game to Stanford. After the game, the Colorado players don't shake hands with Stanford. You noticed it. I think you were watching it on yeah. TV and you said something to me, but I didn't really see it late until later when I watched video that was taken from the press box by reporters who were noticing that Colorado's players all just sort of went to the sideline.
7: How bad does that look? Well, um, look, I've never played in a football game where, you know, my team was up by 29 and then found a way to lose. So I can't – I don't know what that's like, but I know that even, uh, you know, at our kid's soccer game, who is 7 – uh, we really emphasize the handshake after the game, and I know it's it may seem trivial to a lot of people, but I think it's important. I mean, and we preach that all the time. Sportsmanship. In the end, it's just a game. Like find find a way to, you know, shake the hand of your opponent.
1: Saturday Night Live did this big sketch, Kenan Thompson doing the uh, big sketch, and I want to play it because it spoke to the 29-point meltdown.
6: Millions of people are watching your games. You've obviously turned the program around, but it's not perfect. I mean,
4: just last night, you lost to Stanford in double overtime. Wasn't that crazy? (laughs) Man, we were up 29 to nothing after half. So I went home and fell asleep. (laughs) I woke up this morning shocked as anyone. But come on, man, nobody's perfect. Name one team that's undefeated. Okay, well, well, there's Georgia. Right. Michigan. Mm Mm-hmm. Ohio State. That's another one. Florida State. Forgot about them. Oklahoma. Sure. Penn State. Indeed. Washington. Good team. North Carolina. Tar Heels. Air Force. <laughs> and see, that's exactly my point.
1: Exactly. He's so point. good. That was really good. That Saturday Night Live misses a lot of times. Yeah. But they got that one. And, uh, you know, they got that one correctly and, and nailed that one. Uh, all right, here we go. Here's Coach Prime. After the game, talking about giving up a 97-yard touchdown pass to Stanford. Well,
2: we didn't play well, not just Travis. We, we, I, I think it all started when we gave up on the 97-yard touchdown, which was flat-out ridiculous. That's when it all started. That's when all the foolishness, all the complacency, all the mess started. I mean, we, how in the world we give up? Uh, Jesus. Uh, our secondary did not play the best game. Especially at the cornerback position.
1: There he is. Sounds different than, than he did before the game, saying, thank goodness we're not going to have to play in this conference. Uh, different tier. I think it's going to be tough for him down the stretch here because I think this is the beginning of... I think the, there's a chance they don't go to a bowl game. I mean, you look on their schedule and you go, okay, where is the win? They'd have to win a game that you don't expect them to win. And, you know, they get a week off this week. They get UCLA on the 28th. That's going to be a really hard game for them. And, and I think, you know, they get Oregon State on November 4th at home. That's going to be a hard game for them. Arizona, I had previously penciled that in as a win for Colorado. I don't think so anymore. Arizona looks good and then they go to Washington State, maybe they can win that game. They're going to have to find a surprise win somewhere, or they're not going to be bowl eligible. So do you think they get no wins the rest of the season? They have to beat somebody I don't see them beating. Okay, so let's just go through, like, the games they will not win, and then maybe where they could get a surprise win, okay? So they're on a bye week this week. They're sitting on five wins. and Excuse me, they're sitting at four and three. They, they need to get to six you know they they're trying to get to 6 here so they got to find two wins so they're at UCLA on October 28th they're not winning that game
0: uh, i uh, were you impressed with the UCLA offense I, I wasn't and i thought the defense for UCLA would be better but they weren't very yeah. good against dj i think i think Colorado can throw the ball against them especially with the week off preparing for that game i actually Hope think so. that's somewhat winnable okay okay I, i'd go winnable
1: all right we'll go Somewhat winnable, but Stanford couldn't score on anybody. (laughs) Stephen, that's true. They had nine touchdowns all year. In the second half against Colorado, they were playing
0: Tech Mobile. Like Colorado's not good. That is very true. But is it? I mean, is Dante Moore ready to really be? I don't know if he's ready to like be awesome yet.
1: All right, at UCLA, you're going to say maybe there. I'm going to say just call it a maybe. Don't call it. I'm calling it a win, John.
0: I'm already calling it now. Wow. Uh, uh, All right, so
1: I'm going to call it a loss. You're going to call it a maybe. And so let's go, to, let's go to October 4th, the next game. Oregon State goes to Boulder.
0: I don't see it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a hell no that Colorado wins.
1: Yeah, Oregon State's going to run all over them. Oregon State will score 50 in that game. And so that's uh, two losses for me, and it's maybe uh, one maybe for you. And uh, let's go to the next week. Arizona's at Colorado. Unless some shine comes off the Wildcats in the next two weeks, I, I don't think Colorado can hang there. I think Arizona will score a boatload of points against them and be good enough to win that one. I would,
0: I would say that's winnable.
1: At home, okay, at Colorado. So two. Yeah, yeah, they've been, been playing them two. close games, yeah. I'm not giving them any. So then November 17th, Friday, here's one I'm going to say maybe. Colorado has to go to Pullman. Given how Washington State's looked in the last couple of weeks, I'll call that a maybe, even though it's on the road. So I have one
0: maybe. Yeah, I think a, I think that one would be closer to a no for me, but I'll give it a maybe as well, just because I like Colorado. But I think that one is more loser That's more likely lost than the Arizona game.
1: Then the season finale, regular season finale at Utah. Uh no. nope. nope, not happening. So I've got maybe they can win one. You're saying you think maybe three. they can win three. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. If they don't get bowl eligible, how bad of a how bad of a
0: season is it for Coach Prime? Not, it's not a bad season by any means. I, I think if they go five and seven, I think it's a great season, a lot of momentum. And I think even if it's four and eight, I think you could still say it's a W for the entire season because we weren't expecting that. But uh, I think it, you know I would be a little disappointed if it was four because that's kind of what the number was in Vegas. It was you know three and a half, four wins, so they're still right at the win total. So you know a little disappointed, but I think it's still a W overall because you could you saw the potential that they have. So I think five five and you're feeling really good.
1: It, it, to me, you know how we always say style points, they, they matter when people are trying to make the playoff in, in front of a selection committee? I actually think style points are going to matter with Colorado because the way they lost on Friday to Stanford was devastating. If they can lose respectably, looking like a team, not pointing fingers, just getting beat and playing hard, then I'll, I'll end the season going, you know what? That's respectable. They turned it around. Look at the eyeballs they had. But I thought it was really interesting. Fox had the number one pick today of the games. So today the Pac-12 released the October 28th weekend. And it's got Oregon playing at Utah. And you've got Oregon State going to Tucson to play Arizona. And you have uh, Colorado playing at UCLA. Fox had the number one pick. And they passed on Colorado. I thought that was interesting. They took the Oregon Utah game at twelve thirty in Salt Lake City, and then ESPN uh, or ABC grabbed uh, ABC grabbed the Colorado game against UCLA, trying to get the LA market and Colorado. I thought that was a big surprise that Fox didn't grab Colorado, given all the eyeballs and the attention they had on them in the early part of the season.
7: Yeah, they're paying attention to the trend. Obviously, um, I'm curious what you guys think about. Just the chatter that keeps coming from Deion Sanders and his coaches like you obviously know sports and and the behavior of coaches way better than I do but it's just interesting to me that like before the game um, there was video released from Colorado that showed one of their um, coaches uh, Dennis Thurman giving the players a rude awakening, talking to them about how they're just not going to play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He's basically calling them out for having horrible practice habits, hearing them complaining about Coach Prime getting after him. Um, They don't study. They don't apply themselves. He's really, like, giving it to them. And then after the game, with Deion Sanders saying, you know, Saying that the players have to love football and then but complaining about the work that they have to put in and saying they don't love it,
1: yeah, there was a lot of we as coaches want this and we love football and we're committed and our play I wish our players were as committed as we were,
7: but like on one hand on. i on one hand like I can see it from one one angle and say look that's tough talk like. I can I can appreciate and respect tough talk and holding people accountable when they're not living up to expectations.
1: I think that the expectations were unrealistic, and I think they're a little bit of a victim of some of the success they had at the beginning of the season and the headlines and Fox showing up and Game Day showing up. And, you know, they this was a team that s- struggled to beat Colorado State. All right? Mm-hmm. It was a great, like, moment. All of America was watching it. This is a team that struggled against a Nebraska team that didn't have a quarterback. This is a team like they—they did some good things in the first month of the season that made people believe and generated a lot of excitement. But you know, Shador Sanders, at halftime of the Stanford loss, his Instagram account—probably not run by him, I hope—is selling swag. Right? So it's like whoever's running his Instagram account is selling Colorado swag. It's—it's just such a bad look it's a bad distraction and i think i don't think as a coach you can say when we're winning it's me and when we're losing it's them Mm -hmm. and i heard that at the oregon game from coach prime in the post game Mm -hmm. you know he was like hey i i I need eight or nine dogs like you know this is not me it's not me out there i got a gold jacket Mm -hmm. and i saw that for the first time that first loss when oregon just boat raced them and it was a little bit of separation that he was doing from the product on the field and what was happening yeah. and his own brand.
7: I just wonder about that because, like, in one sense, like I said, I obviously I know coaches have these conversations with their the players behind closed doors. Right. In locker rooms, in team meetings, like – Say it. Say everything that you need to the players to hold them accountable and raise the expectation for, you know, the level of play and what they need to be doing on and off the field. But I just wonder how healthy that is. It's like watching a family fight in public. You know what I mean? It's like it makes me uncomfortable, and I go, oh, wait. They're, like, supposed to be a team together. So I just wonder, like, long-term as this season starts to drag on for them how that's going to play out
1: and i and again i made the point before you came in anna that that the kind of player that you grab in the transfer portal i think if you're grabbing 50 players in the portal you're getting a very transient player who's in it for themselves over and over and over again a little different than the player that you have had in your program for 3 or 4 years who understands the culture, who understands your expectations. And so I expect there to be some clunky moments when you have 50 transfers coming into a program mm-hmm. and and especially when things don't go well. And you know, and we see we saw some finger pointing and stuff. And I think it's we're at that point with Colorado. On the bright side for Colorado, here comes the bye week and they get a chance to kind of regroup and go, "Hey, we need to settle down." We need to get back to what we were successful at. Shadour, you need to you know, stop trying to do it yourself. He's been sacked 33 times. Thirty-three times. <laughs> Going into the weekend, Bo Nix, Oregon had given up three sacks for the season. Now, some of that, people are saying, Shadour holds the ball too long. He doesn't want to have an incomplete pass. He'd rather have a sack yeah. because it's better on the stat sheet. I'm not sure I buy that. I just think... He holds the ball, and they don't have an offensive line. And he's got the ball in his hands every down trying to make a play. There was obvious frustration in the second half of that game as Stanford was just going right down the field. And in the overtime, Shudor just throws a jump ball, and Stanford intercepts it. Leave it here. You got the BFT. So you know how in the state of Oregon, using uh, DraftKings... You can't wager on college sporting events. Stephen, you know that? You know you can't do that, right?
0: I do. I do know that, and it's a very unfortunate.
1: Yeah, the state legislature in the state of Oregon has basically said you're not going to be allowed to do that. There was a uh, bill that was uh, being proposed in about a year ago in a legislative session that uh, Peter Courtney, a state senator, was pushing for. He wanted to use the proceeds from the gambling on college sporting events to help fund scholarships for kids who couldn't otherwise go to college. Seems like a good idea. And, uh, the, uh, lobbyists for the tribal casinos blocked it. Basically wanted feasibility studies, wanted, uh, you know, uh, you know, wanted to see the impact. They wanted to study it. And I asked Peter Courtney, what, what the, uh, code, like, what, what did that mean? And he says, it means kill the bill, kill the bill. That's what it means. Um, there's a little bit of a workaround. Are you interested?
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. Here's our number. You're interested
1: 100. to hear this? Okay, no, so I, I found this. There's an app called Underdog. Have you heard of Underdog?
0: Uh, I have now.
1: It's, uh, <laughs> it's fantasy sports gaming. But Underdog has an app, and you can also do it online. And what Underdog allows you to do is it allows you to wager on NFL and college players. Basically, put together a lineup, and you can fashion a lineup that says, Hey, Bo Nix, over 250 yards passing, under 250. It's like a bunch of, uh, you know, you basically put a lineup. Like, you could have Justin Herbert tonight for the Chargers playing against the Dallas Cowboys, and the over-under on total passing yards for... Justin Herbert is uh, more than or less than 277 yards. And then you get the same thing with a college uh, event on the weekend. So you can do the college players. You can do a lineup that features college players and pro players. It's very interesting that there appears to be a loophole in the system that allows you to do uh, prop lineup features featuring your players. And guess who has a promo code now? For underdog, okay. Anna, don't. Uh, no, not Anna. <laughs> but it is the promo code Kanzano, which will get you a. Uh, if you make a deposit, you get a match of your depo- deposit. So I am looking at Justin Herbert tonight in this Chargers Cowboys game. You want to help me out here? Do we want to set our lineup together? Shall we go this? Shall we do this? Talking to Are me you interested? Anna.
0: Yeah. I'm talking to you. Oh, I, th- I thought uh, I thought Anna was making a lineup.
7: You know, no. Anna's my, eyes, my eyes, my eyes glass over. We need, we need an analyst lineup, though. I
0: think that's that's the what we need. But yeah, I'm in. Let's All do right. this thing.
1: All right, let's. <laughs> I, I'm real interested in Dak Prescott and Justin Herbert. Let's just do this as an example. It's the first time I've ever done this. I want to do this. Um, so Dak Prescott. Here's an interesting uh, proposition with him: higher or lower than a half a yard rushing.
0: Ooh, um, Got to be over, right? I mean, the half a yard, just get one yard. Yeah, get a, take the over right. on that one.
1: I'm going to say that. All right, higher or lower than 274 and a half passing yards?
0: That seems high. Uh, I'd take the under.
1: Take lower. Um, Let's go to Justin Herbert. And uh, so here's Justin Herbert. Um, higher or lower than um, 36 and a half passing attempts? If you look at his season, he has, uh, in the last four games, 24, 47, 41, 33. That, 36 and a half.
0: That one's a little tougher because I do know that Austin Eckler is back. Um, mm-hmm. I would take the over, though. I still think it's gonna, they're going to want to pass on Dallas.
1: All right, so higher. Okay, so right now, that um, basically that gives you a 3-1 uh, to one payout with those propositions of Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert. So we need Dak Prescott to get um, half a yard rushing, and Justin Herbert's passing attempts to be over 36.5. And And it pays 3-1. to All
5: right, well, yeah.
1: Okay? But you can add college players to this stuff. It's it's, uh, interesting to me. And I reached out, and I talked to Underdog, and I said, Hey, do you realize you can't wager on a college sporting event in the state of Oregon. The state legislature won't let people do that. And th- I don't think they were aware of it. And so they checked the rules of their thing, and they were like, no, in the state of Oregon you can absolutely play underdog. That so, is
0: that is interesting that you could do you know the, the prop market and and the, yep. the individual plays, but you can't bet on the actual teams. I, I do like that because, I mean, you look at Saturday – Michael yeah. Penix Jr. is going to be throwing all over the Ducks, you know, and you look at you can look at this week and we can see, you know, what's going to happen and uh, project that, so, uh, yeah, I'm in. I think it's the terminology
1: because they use the terminology set your lineup. It's not wagering. So it's like set, fantasy. Set your lineup. It's a fantasy kind of sports thing. And so they're probably following under the legislation or the umbrella of fantasy sports. And it just it happens that you could have had Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix on Saturday's game. Um and they're 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 also not using over and under they're using the terminology lower and higher. I find that interesting as well. Yeah. So check out underdog use the promo code canzano if you want to if you want to play you could get you get a uh, 100% match on your initial deposit. Um Anna
7: I find it interesting that I think the first time we heard about that was from someone we're related to who's like yes 20 years old. I,
1: I, that's when I started <laughs> looking into it. Started like, looking into think, it. Well, how I old mean, do you have to be to do this? Uh, you got to be twenty-one to oh, do it. Okay.
7: Oh, oh. well. So you mean al- allegedly twenty?
1: Allegedly, allegedly twenty-one, or he yeah, is maybe somebody he knows is twenty-one. Maybe I don't somebody know. he knows. But, but
7: I think all the college kids know about it. I think they're onto it, and I think it's yeah. widely popular among them.
1: They're way more into it, but it's called Underdog, and you just, just use the promo code Konzano if you want to get a <laughs> bonus on that. You want to get a bonus on your deposit, so. Uh, coming up, Anna's going to do the five at five. We got great sound to play to go along with it. Damian Lillard's first basket as a Milwaukee Buck was it as painful for you as it was for some other Blazer fans? I'll play that clip coming up, among other things. You got the bald faced truth. I appreciate that you're here listening to this show. The five at five is coming up, and then we're going to lead you right into Monday Night Football. Well, people have uh, done some venting about Dan Lanning's coaching strategy on today's show. They have uh, talked about Oregon State and Colorado quite a bit. But we've let some things fall through the cracks. Anna's here to pick those things up and remind us what's important. Remember how uh, cable TV used to have not necessarily the news? Do you remember that? Not necessarily the news? (laughs) That's kind of what we uh, should call this segment, except we call it the Five Five at Five Five. The Five at Five. You like the echo? Yeah. Now batting, batting, right fielder, fielder. number nine, nine, nine. nine. Steven Stephen, Vaughn, Vaughn, Vaughn. I have a and little I,
0: beef with it though, yeah. because I because right. sometimes you don't do it, and then sometimes you do do it, and so then I never know when to hit the button. Like sometimes I'm expecting the echo, and then there's no echo, and then today. Okay. How about we just say, hit, hit the button, button. How about I do that? I just play it on it and adjust from there.
7: (laughs) Keep him on his toes. You know he's not going to change, Stephen.
1: Anna's number one story is?
7: Uh, The 5 at 5 news-ish segment. Uh, Giannis, the love fest continues in Milwaukee with Damian Lillard and Giannis and their 108-97 preseason victory over the Lakers on Sunday night.
6: Damian Lillard one on one against Christie and Lillard, switch. slash, tied
4: again at 53 under a minute to play this first half. Damian Lillard with the and one. I feel great. You know, um, obviously, it's always a little bit of rust in the beginning, uh, but you know the game was very simple. It was just a matter of getting my getting my wind up. Uh, you know, just kind of getting in the rhythm. They came out blitzing me from the beginning, so it woke me up. It was just good to be back on the floor.
1: Hey, I need to get my wind up.
7: Hannah. <laughs> Yana's saying, he's never played with a guy like that. Wow, high praise. Lillard uh, knocked down three of ten attempts from the field, but he was a perfect six of six from the free throw line finish with 14 points.
1: A lot of back scratching going on with those two. You get my back, I get yours. Let's see it on the court. Steven, if they don't win an NBA title... Or they don't get to the NBA Finals. Is it a failure in Milwaukee?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, we talked about that last year. It was a failure to lose in the first round. That's, how they, that's why they went out and they got Dame. Uh, I think it's championship or bust right now for the Milwaukee Bucks. I, anything less, it's got to be a disappointment.
1: I don't care what Giannis
0: says. It'll be a failure.
6: I'm curious for you. Do you view this season as a failure? <sighs> oh, my God. Oh. Uh... Okay, because I'm not uh, that... up. We, you asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No.
1: Yes or no? I feel like he's interrogating Eric. Giannis <laughs> and Milwaukee: a lot of eyes on them this season. Number uh, two.
7: Number two. Speaking of potential failures, uh, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick is potentially on his way to becoming the Losingest coach in NFL history this season. How in the world did this happen? Well,
1: it's because he's coached so many games. Yeah, it's not that his percentage yeah is the losingest. It's that he will have more losses than anybody because <laughs> he's coached forever. Oh, got it. You okay. got. You understand that?
7: Thank you. Yeah. Yes. It's
1: not like Bill Belichick, the once proud champion, can't win a damn thing. He's just he's coached so long
7: right so his all-time coaching record at 71 years old is 299 wins and 157 losses the current record for the most regular season losses in nfl history is held by both dan reeves and jeff fisher you had to be around
1: you had to be around a while and people forget this was a guy who you know was the head coach of the cleveland browns was the head coach of the new york jets before the Patriots. So Belichick, you know, he had some seasons in there. By the way, six and ten in Cleveland, seven and nine, seven and nine, five and eleven, five and eleven. He had some bad seasons in there. But this is more of a product of a guy who is coached from his first year as a head coach nineteen ninety-one until now. That's quite a long time, Anna.
7: This, however, remains his worst start of his coaching career at okay. one or five.
1: Yeah, well that that didn't help. <laughs> He also has thirteen losses in the playoffs, but nobody's talking about that. Do you think you know,
0: differently of him now that he doesn't have Brady and he's losing all the time now? I
7: think no. No I do. I I do. I don't. <laughs> I think it reflects on how much Tom Brady mattered. I agree.
1: I don't though, I think he's a good coach. I just think he's also older. The game is yeah, how much has the game changed in, in the last seven or eight years? It's not the same game anymore. I'm not saying he would have won had you put him, like, in Cleveland forever. He wouldn't have. But I think it was a marriage of Brady and Belichick that worked for both sides. I could be crazy, though. Number three.
7: Aaron Rodgers uh, on pace for an unprecedented return. I think everybody's excited because they saw him... Uh, At the game, wearing a headset, throwing some passes, walking around, no boot, no crutches, very little limp. So there's people saying that he could be back as early as week 15 when the Jets visit the Dolphins on December 17th.
1: Nice. Do we want to see him rushing back out there?
7: That's my my next question, actually. Yeah. Do
1: we? I don't know. Steven, do you want to see him rushing back out there? I guess... The fact that the Jets just, you know, they're coming off a big win over the weekend. They beat the Eagles. They've proven that they're not a garbage franchise.
0: They're they're the better of the two franchises in New York. I want to see him back. I think that would be awesome because no one expected it to come back, and he supposedly is doing this, you know, treatment that no one's ever heard of, and it's uh, going to be revolutionary. So maybe, uh, maybe he comes back and we learn some medical things about it as well. I'm all in.
7: Of course he's doing a medical treatment nobody's ever heard of because it's Aaron Rodgers. By
0: the way, did you know that the Jets'
1: win over the Eagles was the first time they ever beat Philadelphia? No. Here's how it what? sounded.
4: Philadelphia is 12-0 lifetime against the New York Jets. Fourth and eight. They rush three. Spying Hurts, who's airing it deep, looking for Devontae Smith, underthrown, bro! The Jets defense delivers again.
1: There it is. Now, what, 13 and (laughs) 1? Number 4.
7: Okay, show of hands. Who's excited? The 2028 Los Angeles Olympic Games will include five new sports. Well, the sports themselves aren't new. And one of them has been an Olympic sport before. That's cricket. It got in this time. Flag football getting in for the first time. <laughs> um, I thought baseball and softball were already in. They were
1: in and then out. Ah, and then back in be- back. because this is an Olympics happening in a baseball, softball <laughs> country.
7: Okay. Well, lacrosse and squash also going to be in LA. Everybody
1: playing lacrosse these days. Go by, drive by an elementary school or a high school.
7: Well, how did that happen, by the way? Nobody played lacrosse on the West Coast when we were growing up. Yeah. Now everyone's doing it. It's a
1: shift. It's a shift of mentality. It's fun. I find it interesting that you can tell they're trying to be more marketable to large population bases and to people on television. So they're bringing cricket in. They know they're roping in a part of the world by bringing cricket into the Olympics. Baseball, softball coming back. Flag football? Who are they trying to get with flag football? And by the way, let's get Tom Brady in the Olympics. (laughs)
0: How about that? Put him out there.
1: Flag
7: football's all the
0: rage. I would rather see just like dudes like you and me out there playing flag football. Like it's the (laughs) Turkey Bowl, you know?
1: Oh, my hammy! Yeah. Oh! That's the American way. Bob Costas calling me, grabbing (laughs) my hamstring as I'm trying to run down the field against... Some guy in Ukraine. Anna, go ahead, number five.
7: Five, finally. uh, Kyle Kuzma with The Wizard says, It's just too much. Nike, stop it. So he was responding to a post on Twitter showing the Clippers City Edition jerseys for the season coming up. And he declared that something's getting lost with a constant variation in uniforms. He wrote, Nike is ruining the nostalgia of jerseys. Every Mm. year it's a new jersey, and what gets lost is brand identity. What do you think about that?
1: I... Agree to a certain extent because I, I know what they're trying to do. Nike and the teams are trying to increase their merchandise sales by creating new versions of the same old product, the jersey. Mm-hmm. And so I understand there's a revenue stream there. I do agree with Kuzma. It is out of hand. We are watching teams wearing too many jerseys, and there's a football team in the state that started that whole thing, <laughs> and everybody else has followed it. Everybody's got jerseys now.
7: That's it. I uh I, I I it confuses me because as a traditionalist I look up and I'm like, Wait, what team is that? Oh, that's Portland. <laughs> I just yeah, right. the colors don't jive. I, I like I can't my, my mind can't wrap my head around it.
1: Well, like when they <laughs> did the carpet jerseys, the Portland airport yeah. PDX carpet jerseys. Like, they are, but it's or the brown it's another, jerseys. It's yeah. another example of it's just gone too far. I I agree with Kuzma, but Nike's not ruining the nostalgia of the game. They're just contributing to that. (laughs) They're They're not the violator. All right, tomorrow's show, Jake Dickert, Washington State football coach, Jonathan Smith, coming up on Wednesday. We'll check in with the Ducks as well. Maybe Dan Lanning will make an appearance.